right, let's open our Bibles this morning. Let's go to Luke chapter 10. That's where we're going to spend uh, some of our time. I think I'll get uh, John 8 and 15 in and other places, but we need to begin in Luke chapter 10. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, open our eyes, we ask, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Open our hearts. Make us receptive to your word so that it comes in, it fills us, and it stays. And we see how we are to trust and obey you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Now we're going to look at Luke in just a moment. Uh, The year was 1887, and it was an evangelistic meeting that was led by D.L. Moody. And after the meeting, they had a time of testimony, and a young man came forward. And the young man began to talk about what has happened in his life. And it was clear that he really didn't know much about the Bible, and he knew nothing about Christian doctrine. And he admitted pretty much as much. But at the end of his testimony, he said these things. I'm not quite sure what all this means, but I'm going to trust and I'm going to obey. Well, there was a man in the congregation that night, Daniel Towner, who who wrote that down. And he took it back to his friend, John Samus, and he said, this is what the guy said. And John Samus ran with it, and Towner wrote the music to it, and it says, then in fellowship, sweet, we will sit at his feet, or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go, never fear. Only trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Simple obedience. I say it's simple What he says, we'll do. Where he sends, we'll go. I make it sound so easy, right? This is still so easy to do. This is what he says, just go and do it. And there are things that are clearly defined in Scripture that we are supposed to do. And there's no no obfuscation. There's no equivocation. There should be no questions, no hesitation in us. This is what Scripture says. Go and do it. Luke chapter 10, verse 27. What is the first and greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Straightforward. What should I do, Lord? Tell me, what should I do? What do I need to do? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. On and on. We as an entire society, I think, are pretty uncomfortable with this type of plainness and simplicity and directness. I mean, it leaves no room for private interpretation, does it? It leaves no room for Randy to wiggle in. This is what the Lord says you are to do. It leaves no opportunity for me to come and knock off some of those edges that, that really bother me and that I, don't like to, that I don't like to live that way, but the Lord doesn't say, Randy, you can love the Lord your God in however you want. Or you can follow the greatest commandment, whatever you think it is. There's no room for that. It leaves no room 
for me to define what obedience is. I have to love the Lord with all that I am, with all my heart, my mind, my soul. What does that mean? How do we define heart, mind, soul, spirit, being? How do we define that? It's everything. All my actions, all my thoughts, all my words, everything is supposed to demonstrate my love for the Lord. This is what God says to do. Now go and do it. I hate those types of scriptures. Okay? I just hate them. Because they are measurable. They are quantifiable. Has Randy loved the Lord God with all his heart and mind and soul and spirit today? Well, what did I say? What did I think? What did I do? I'm faced with the simple facts. Either I have lived like Christ or I have not lived like Christ. It's not something that becomes so individualized. I mean, we like the Christian faith because I can live it. It's my, Jesus Christ is my, what, personal Lord and Savior. Okay, he's mine and and, and that relationship is mine. But yet there are these things I have to demonstrate in public. If he is mine and has changed my heart, I have to live a different way. I have to trust. I have to obey. It's hard enough to get my dog to obey, let alone my own self to obey. Gee. I mean, it's clear. It's out there for everybody to see. Randy did. Randy did not obey. And see, you cannot follow Jesus and reject what he says as the final source of authority. You cannot say, I love God, but I don't like what Jesus says, so I'm not going to follow what he says. I'm just going to love God my own way. No, Jesus says this is what you have to do. Remember the, the quote here out of 27, out of verse 27, is in response to the question of verse 25. Teacher, what shall I do? to inherit eternal life. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, what's the scripture say? He goes to the word of God and says, what has scripture taught you? What is the authority? It is scripture. What does it say? And he gives him the answer in verse 28. You have answered correctly. I want to stop. I don't want to go any further. I got the right answer. Isn't that enough? He says, you have answered correctly. Ah. And what's Jesus say in the rest of 28? Do this. I was so good with the right answer. And now he wants me to do it. I mean, isn't it enough to know the right answer? Isn't it enough to have that answer? I have to love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my spirit, with all my mind, and love my neighbor as myself. I just, it just, just overflow with that. And then Jesus ruins it by saying, now go and do it. I don't like that part. I mean, I'm doing good with the right answer. Why do I have to demonstrate it? Why do I have to demonstrate it? Let's go over to Matthew 28. Go back to Matthew 28. The very final verses of Matthew 28. Faith and obedience cannot be separated. You cannot separate the two. If faith is real in your life, you will be obedient. We'll be obedient imperfectly. I understand that. 
There's still enough sin that remains within us. It doesn't reign in our lives. The Holy Spirit reigns in our lives as believers. But there's enough sin that remains that will make obedience a struggle our entire lives. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. This is the... Jesus sends them out. All authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. The command is to make disciples. Okay? Uh, For years, I thought the command was to go. No, the command is to make disciples. Okay, go is an assumption there. Yes, it's, it's written there, but the command is really make disciples. That's the call. One, obedience in the sense of going and doing evangelism. Sharing your faith, making disciples. Then verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I commanded. And, and observe does not mean to look at. Here, observe means to, that's that other O word, obey all that I have commanded. <clears throat> Obedience is so foundational in the believer's life that if it's not present, the person's faith ought to be called into question. Now, now that's a, that could be a serious question. Well, Rand, you, you know I'm not going to obey perfectly, yes, and I'm not going to obey perfectly, and there will be days where it won't even look like I'm obeying. But I understand that that is my call. That is what I've been enabled to do through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now I am called to live in obedience to God's word. John 8.31 says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you stay in my word, if you live in my word. John 15, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 2 John chapter 2, and by this We know that you have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. True profession requires a demonstration, and that demonstration is obedience to the word of God. It is unequivocal, it is uncompromising, it is not done grudgingly, it is from the heart, it is not done just perfunctory. It is, this is what the Lord has called me to do. This is what the Lord enabled me to do. And I love to do it. And I love to do it. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1. There was a little girl who was invited to her friend's house for dinner. And... uh, while she's there, the mother comes out and, and she says to her, her daughter's little friend, she says, well, this is what we're having for dinner. And she gets to the vegetable and says, and we're having cauliflower. Do you like cauliflower? And she says, oh, I love cauliflower. Like that. Well, they sit down to dinner and, and the food is, is passed around. And the little girl gets the cauliflower and she just passes it right away. And the mother said, "Hun, I, I thought you said you love cauliflower. And she says, oh, I do. Just not enough to eat it. God's word just not enough to obey it okay I love it but I don't want to obey it I love cauliflower I'm not going to eat it oh 1 Peter 1 since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren 
Fervently love one another from the heart, for you have been born again not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and abiding word of God. There is no such thing as saving faith apart from obedient faith. You can't have saving faith that lacks obedience. That lacks, and we'll qualify this one last time, you will never have perfect obedience in your life. It will be an ongoing struggle to that. But it is this call to an obedient faith. And this is an error that the church has, has wrestled with for a long time. It has come and gone. It, it, it reared its head again from, from the 70s. It re- came up in the 70s and kept on going after that. Uh, it's a little bit less now, but there are still pockets of it. Of it where that you feel you can have Jesus as my Savior, but lordship is another issue. Jesus is my Savior. Is he your Lord, too? Because they go together. I mean, there's a command to obedience in Scripture. There's, there's the command to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ today. Today is the day of salvation. But what about the lordship aspect? What about that obedience aspect where I have to conform my life not to the world around me, but it has to be transformed and I have to live out the things of God's word? Obedience is not optional, but we say, I've got grace, what do I need obedience for? I've got Jesus Christ, does my obedience somehow add to his work? No, it doesn't add to his work. True believers get the entire package. We get our sins forgiven and we get to live in submission to God's word. And it doesn't sound like that good of a deal to the American mindset. I get to live in submission, that's a plus? Yes. That is a plus. Where else do you want to be except within the will of God? Where do you want to be? Do you want to be in the things of Christ? Then you get to live in submission. You want to be in the things of Christ? Then you get to face what uh, he says. If you desire to live a Christian life, you will suffer. Paul says that. You will suffer. That's not a good deal, is it? I mean, I like the salvation part, but this obedience and this suffering part, I'm not too good with. But that's what it says. If you think about denying yourself and taking up your cross and following Christ, if that excites you, fantastic. Fantastic. You're starting to understand the lordship of Christ. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus. But I want to be happy in Jesus with a little bit of my own way. Oh, that's not what it says. I mean, that's the hymn. It says you have to trust and obey. But there's only one way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. See, there's no distinction in the Bible. Christians are those who have purified their souls through obedience. We're saved by the grace of Christ. Turn back to the first verses of 1 Peter. We're saved by the work of Christ. Our obedience does not add one iota to that fact, but it is a demonstration of that fact. Verses 1 and 2, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that you may obey Jesus Christ, and be sprinkled with his blood. 
you have been saved for what purpose? According to the foreknowledge of God. If we look at that foreknowledge and we trace that throughout scripture, we go back, look at the first chapter of Ephesians. You were chosen in God before the foundations of the world were laid. Before the foundations of the world. Why? So that you may obey Jesus Christ. The word obedience really stands alone there. In, in the original language, it, it stands out. The whole, the whole second verse is focused around that word, obedience. Let's look at verse uh, chapter 2, verse 8. A stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, for they stumble because they are disobedient. Chapter 3, verse 1. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own, your own husbands, so that if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word, but by the behavior of their wives. Chapter 4, verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins... With us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? We're the ones who are trying to obey the gospel, who are trying to conform our lives to the image of Christ. What happens to those who don't give a rip, who don't have any desire to be obedient? Judgment falls upon them. Romans chapter 1, Paul describes the goal of his own mission to bring about the obedience of faith in the Gentiles. In chapter 10, he states that not all heed the word, not all obey the word of the gospel. And then he goes to Isaiah 53 and says, Lord, who has believed our report? Who has obeyed your word? In Romans 16, he says that the preaching of the gospel leads to the obedience of faith. Not just faith, but the obedience of faith. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul says that when Jesus Christ returns, he will deal out retribution to those who do not know God, to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is always preached as a command to repent and believe, and commands require obedience by those who are genuinely saved. But this is not a one-time act. The obedience doesn't refer to just professing faith, and believing. It refers to an entire lifetime. More than 20 years ago, Eugene Peterson wrote a classic devotional, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Anybody read that? A Long Obedience in the Same Direction? It's great. Um, It's hard. I gave my copy away years ago. I don't know who has it. Hopefully it's been passed on and on. A long obedience in the same direction. It is a devotional taken from Psalms 120 to 134, the Psalms of Ascent. The Christian is on the way to the city of God. And there is much to do along the way. And it will take a lifetime of obedience, a lifetime of learning, and a lifetime of practice before we get there. And it's not the learning and obedience and practice that gets us there. Our obedience, learning, and practice are evidences of his grace which gets us there. Now, why did I not immediately, upon 
becoming a believer, receive everything that I ever needed? Why wasn't I immediately cleansed? Why wasn't that, that I find, why, why isn't it that when I profess faith in Jesus Christ and received him as my Lord and Savior, why doesn't obedience come easily for me now? If my heart's been changed, it ought to be a breeze, right? The Spirit places an understanding in us to help us grow in grace. Again, 1 Peter chapter 1. You were saved, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. That's an ongoing work of the Spirit. It happens from the moment of justification. You were changed in an infant, in an instant. And now the sanctifying work of the Spirit goes on in your life that you may obey Jesus Christ. Some commands to obey are easy. Some are hard. Some come and we look at them and go, well, of course that's what the Lord wants. That's easy to do. And others, we think, how in the world could that happen? Remember, the angel comes to Mary and says, hey, Mary, teenager, Virgin Mary, you're going to have a child. The Spirit's going to come upon you. What does she say? May it be done to me as the Lord wills. That's obedience. She did ask the question, how? And the answer was, the Holy Spirit will descend upon you. Then she said, may it be unto me. Obedience. Maybe you've had something like that, not Not to the same extent, understand, but maybe the Lord has come upon you in some way and said, this is what I want you to do, and you went, you're kidding me. Or maybe you went, may it be done unto me as you want, Lord. May I go where you send me. May I do what you call me to do. Let's look at Romans chapter 6. We are set apart for the work of the Lord. We are enabled. We are saved for a specific purpose. Remember, and I'm just, you're in Romans. I'm going to read you out of Ephesians. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift by God. Not a result of works that one should boast. Why has this happened? Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has prepared these things for us to do that in obedience we will do them. For what purpose? For his glory. Romans 6, verse 16. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience... You are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that you, that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. You will be a slave. I will be a slave to one thing or another. 
That's what Paul is saying here. And understand, Paul is writing this to a church that's probably made up of a lot of slaves or former slaves. So when he talks about slavery, he is not doing it in in a a pejorative manner to, to, to tweak them or something or remind them. that He is saying this is a fact of life. You are a slave to something in your life. You will either be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you will be a slave to Christ, which leads to righteousness. Sin resulting in death, obedience resulting in righteousness. You're a slave to one or the other. And you think, no, I've got freedom in Christ. No, you're a slave to Christ. And understand there were three types of slaves in the New Testament times. They're the kind that were conquered So we went and beat up your nation and brought a whole bunch of you back and made you slaves. So that's one form of slavery. Another form of slavery was, I can't pay my debt. So in order to work off my debt, I'm going to be a slave. Then there was another kind. Usually that stemmed out of those two, or sometimes simply out of devotion, where somebody would say, I'm going to willingly put myself into your service. And as a mark of that, they would put your ear, your earlobe, on the doorpost, and they would take an awl, and they would put that awl on your ear and give it a knock and pierce your ear. That was a sign that you had willingly become a bond servant. I am yours. This is the type of slavery that he talks about. He said, I am yours, Christ. I'm going to be devoted to you in whatever you call me to do, whatever you want me to do. I will trust and I will obey. I don't always know. I don't always understand. But that's what I'm going to do. Nobody is ultimately their own boss. You will either obey a generous and loving master whose commands are always for your own good, or you will obey a tyrannical master, sin. You've got one or the other. Verse 17, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart. Okay, so in order to illustrate Christian freedom, Paul is saying it's slavery. It's freedom, but it's slavery. There are a lot of things in scripture that sound like they contradict one another until you really understand them. You want to be free, you have to be a slave, but a slave to the right thing. You will be a slave no matter what. It will either be to the things of sin, resulting in death, or obedience to righteousness, resulting in life. God is the one that liberates, and then he calls us to obedience. I give thanks to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart. Obedience was produced in these Christians in Rome by those, those who believed in Jesus Christ, and it is whole hearted obedience. Paul doesn't put any qualifiers on. He doesn't say you're sometimes obedience. He says you're you're working at it. He says you're wholehearted obedience. Last passage, James chapter 1. We read it in unison today. We're going to look at it again. James chapter 1. It's not enough to hear the word. It's not enough to read the word. 
You have to do the word. What must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. I got the right answer. And then Jesus spoils it by saying, do it. James chapter 1, verse 22. Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at it himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. This would be like, I get up in the morning and I decide I need a new look. So I get in front of the mirror and I get the electric clippers out and I begin to shave my head. Okay, so here I'm right-handed, so I start on the right side and I get get halfway through my head and my phone rings on a Sunday morning. And then, oh, I better go answer this. So I put everything down, go off and take care of that. And then I forget what is going on. I forget that half my head is shaved. And I show up here on Sunday morning and I've got just, you know, the kind of down to the nub here and, and you're kind of laughing at me and I don't understand it because I have forgotten what I look like. This is the Christian who looks at the word and then walks away and forgets it. He has deluded himself. He thinks he is mature. I think I look good because my new shaved head look. But in reality, I only got half my head shaved. And here I am, the deluded Christian. I think I look good. I think I'm obeying. But I have forgotten what the word says. I am creating it myself. How does God want me to live? I read it, but I forgot it. So I'm going to make it up as I go along. This is how God wants me to live. No, this is how God wants me to live. For once he looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty. Strange words, law of liberty. It's the perfect law and it gives us liberty and abides by it. Not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man shall be blessed in what he does. In what he does. So what does it mean to trust and obey? What does it mean to abide in Christ as your Lord? J.C. Ryle wrote this. He said, abide in me. Cling to me, stick fast to me, live the life of close and intimate communion with me, get nearer and nearer to me, roll every burden on me, cast your whole weight upon me, never let go your hold on me, not even for a moment. I want to trust, I'm going to obey, and that's going to be good enough. Let's pray. Lord, you call us to believe upon Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, to receive him. You give us the gift of faith. It's not of ourselves. We don't produce it. You give it to us. Then you draw us unto yourself, and you change our hearts. And now you say, you must live in obedience to the word. You must live in obedience to the things of Christ. For only in that obedience will you find blessing. Only in that obedience will you find freedom.
Only in our adherence to what you say can we be truly free. Only when we devote ourselves to service of the master of righteousness and holiness and mercy and grace can we find out how wonderful it is to really live. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.